You're listening to The Mix on Civ Mix, hosted by Liz Benjamin and Joe Bonia. We are back. We're coming to you from the middle of a heat wave. I don't actually know if that's fair. It's really hot, though. <laughs> it was really hot in that, it, yeah, for the day that we're taping this, it, it rained significantly this morning. So at least a bit of it, the humidity has, has petered out for the rest of the day. You know, that's that's a funny way of saying it since we're speaking to Matt Peter later. <laughs> oh, 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 my God. Oh. I just thought that I would, he's in Albany County Legislator, District yeah. 5, he represents. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. We don't have a lot of time for you and I to do our no. usual patter. Yeah. But, but I, I'll, I'll say that this is the first time uh, I'm actually not in the studio. We've done this now for however many episodes and usually I'm in the studio you're 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 in some like obscure location probably your house yes. and uh you know today I'm actually working from home which I did not really do through the pandemic I went to the office by myself and uh you know it's a little bit different so yeah here I am also in the ether as well hmm. well I do have to say we're talking a lot in this show I mean it's hard not to have this conversation we pretty much have touched on this with almost every guest we've had in one way or another, but it really comes out in this show, the degree to which this pandemic has just sort of upended and changed everything in terms of life as we knew it. I mean, we're speaking to Assemblywoman Warner, who represents Saratoga and of course the racetrack, which is, you know, this historic and amazing gem in the middle of the city and usually welcomes thousands upon thousands of people uh, upon which the local economy really depends. And those folks are just not here. Um, some folks are here, but they can't access the track to watch the horses run and they can't see New York favorite Tis the Law, which is sad because that horse is so cute. Oh, I know, I know. But it's, it's I mean, for, for everything in Saratoga, I mean, this is their time in Albany. It, it, our time is really this, you know, the, the late winter, the spring, right? You know, you have session, you have, you know, students here. There's, there's a lot of energy here in the city and then, you know, it, it trickles over to Troy. But then Saratoga between SPAC and the track and everything, and just this whole entire year, this is a, a summer like no other as uh, others have uh, proclaimed it to be and truly it is. And it, I think, you know, Assemblyman Warner has been really at the forefront of of trying to get this out there about, you know, the impact it has in her district and in, in, in that part of the region. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to, and I, as I mentioned, we're all, we also spoke to uh, Matt Peter. I, I sort of gave it away there a little bit early, but he um, talked about, you know, some of the, uh, the, the brief spike that we've seen. I don't want to call it a spike because other places in the nation are really seeing spikes, but we are seeing an uptick in infections locally all traced back, I think, to one large gathering. And that's very concerning. And so he speaks to that issue. Uh, and also um, a little bit to the uh, racial injustices debate and um, police brutality and defunding the police. So it's a pretty interesting and newsworthy show, though maybe not as uplifting as I would like it to be. No. We're and, and uplifting. The, right. And I think the one thing to kind of uh, note, though, you know, talking about that that Hudson Avenue party that took place here in Albany. I mean, when you think about what happened nine years ago on that same block, uh, you had Kegs and Eggs, which oh, you know, yes. became, yeah, became this You're whole thing. Yourself, sir. Well, you know, I was, I was still in school, so I can say that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
that's the thing is that, you know, that neighborhood, you know, Quail Street and, you know, really that, you know, the eastern edge of Pine Hills, um, you know, you had businesses along that corridor on, Qu on Quail Street. And now, you know, you would think, you know, students would have gone back home. You have a few people that would stay around. But, you know, to have this congregation of, of people, college-age students or, or whatever, there and then you had this entire spread you know where you had now you had 40 people um now infected with the coronavirus it's wild i tell you you know yeah. well let's get oh, to next week will be uh will be happier peppier oh always assemblywoman carrie warner is in the mix with us and it is fabulous to quote unquote see her virtually i have not seen you in so long assemblywoman i hope you're doing well I, I am doing well, uh, enjoying the summer, a, a little different than any other summer, but uh, nonetheless, uh, great to be uh, in upstate New York in the summertime. So interestingly, upstate New York in the summertime is synonymous for a lot of people with the Saratoga Racetrack, which is smack in your district, if I'm not mistaken. It is indeed, and uh, our equine athletes are hard at work running on the track. And you have been, right? Have you been actually to the track? Are there, did they let you in or no? Uh, they have not let me in. If, you are <laughs> not, uh, if you're not uh, working on the backstretch or uh, an owner of a horse that's running that day, you are not allowed on the track. So what do you think of that? I know that there's been criticism. Um, actually, it's become even a bit of a political fodder issue because of course it is campaign season. So some people are disappointed. Also, there are these like, privacy fences that have been set up to prevent people from setting up shop really and not social distancing. Um, for those who have been at the track, it's really beautiful and a, a gem for upstate New York and one of the most um, celebrated tracks in the nation, to be clear, for horse racing. But it's really easy to see, like you can drive by and see the track. I mean, it's not like it's, um, it's hidden usually. Right. There is a, there's a, one of the, the, I think the the attractions of the Saratoga racetrack is that is that it is so much um, accessible to ordinary people. You know, when you're on the track grounds and you're picnicking in the backyard, the horses walk right past you. You can stand at the paddock and watch them get saddled. Um, you can go to the fence line and watch them race. So there is that that sort of sense of um, uh, everybody enjoys the horses. It's not a, it's not an elite sport by any means in Saratoga Springs. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that is certainly what's missing right now. Um, but I do think that there's a balance that had to be struck. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that the, um, the races, uh, the races bring in, the good news is they bring in hundreds of thousands of people to Saratoga Springs and Saratoga County every year, um, mm. which drives our economy, you know, keeps our hotels full, keeps the restaurants on a reserve list uh, only. And, and even then you call up, it's 8.30 at night before you can get in. Right. Um, you know, that's, it fills our music venues. It's, uh, it rents houses. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who come from a lot of places to, um, to enjoy Saratoga Springs in a normal year. Well, but it's not a normal year. I mean, th so that's the question. Yeah, exactly. not, it, but it's not, a, it's not a normal year. And, you know, we have one hospital and, um, and we've got, we want to make sure that they're not overwhelmed. So managing the public health aspects of this is critical. 
So we, you know, we're take their Naira is taking it slow. The state is taking it slow. The first thing that happened is they said you can. We're going to bring the horses and the backstretch workers up, and we're going to run the races without fans. We'll just stream them, and and uh, from a, a betting perspective, it's actually been very successful. Their handle is up, um, wow. and then they said, you know what, the part of the commercial um, uh, success of the equine industry in New York State is when the owners and the trainers can uh, be together to watch the horses. So now we're allowing the owners on the track uh, when their horses are running so that we can support the, the broader equine industry. And my hope would be that as, as time goes on, um, you know, we've still got what, five, six weeks of the, of the meat left, mm-hmm. that if, the, if our public health numbers remain low, um, so the infection rate remains low and our hospital's not overwhelmed, that at some point there can be some number of um, seats sold, tickets sold for, for fans to go on the track and watch the horses in person. And I don't know what, you know, I don't know what configuration that takes or how it's done, but I think that, you know, it would be a, a step later on if that, as we get into August, if that, you know, if everything continues to go well, that we could, we could try and make. And, and I, and I think that that's, you know, that's, that strikes the balance. Now the privacy fences I think are unfortunate, but I do understand that certainly on Union Avenue, there's not much of a sidewalk there. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and we wouldn't want, um, you know, I think it would, it would end up being kind of dangerous if people kind of crammed up against the fence on, uh, on Union Avenue. And, uh, you know, I I think it would be distracting for drivers and, and potentially dangerous. So I do understand um, not wanting to allow people to, to just uh, um, be on the sidewalks and watching what's happening on the races. But I think it's kind of unfortunate that we had to put privacy fences up to achieve that. What, how concerned are you in terms of the economy? I mean, I know it's, there's been a lot of consternation in particular about um, the, the rules regarding, in fact, actually, and, and um, you know, I, I don't want to put you, I don't want to put you in the middle of a political maelstrom, but, Cuomo chips are like a national thing now, and that happened in Saratoga Springs, if I remember correctly. It was it in- did happen in Saratoga Springs, and I, you know, I love the idea of Cuomo chips. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I think that the what did the governor say last week that that wings are not substantial enough food. I wings mean- are very substantial. I'm sorry, wings make me full. If I eat six wings, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. That's a meal. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, the thing is, look, I get it. He's very interested in keeping the curve flat. Other states are spiking. It's happening a lot among young people. People are desperate to go out and they're not necessarily so um, good at self-policing in terms of social distancing. But these, the rules for the restaurants and bars are like, they keep changing. It's like, who can run a business that way? You can't run a business that way. And, and that's the, you know, if I could, if, if, if I had one Thing that I could try and persuade the governor on. It's that you have to, you have to set the rules once and then leave them in place. Right. It's the uncertainty. It's the, it's the ever changing nature of things that creates um, a climate that businesses can't operate in. You know, if you give a business owner the rules, here's what you have to do. And then they set up processes to, to meet those rules. They're good. If you, if you say, you know, today the rules are X, oh, and two days later they're Y, and then three days later they're Z, who can keep up with that? 
And every time you create change in the rules, it's, it is an expensive proposition for them in a time when they don't have a lot of cash flow to begin with. So right. I think that, the, you know, make rules and hold them steady and then enforce the, enforce the restrictions. That's the key to success here is, is the enforcement. And, you know, and, and he said, well, that's a local, that's a local responsibility. Did. And, you know, maybe there's some truth to that, but I think there's, you know, put your money into, let's do expanded public service campaigns. Let's, let's give when, you know, when people call the attorney general's office and say, you know, such and such business is not enforcing the rules, there should be an action taken as a result of that. And people should see an action being taken as a result of that. Um, there's, you know, I, I just think that, that changing the rules all the time is you create a target that nobody can keep up with. And it opens the door for people to just dismiss the rules because they know the rules are going to change tomorrow and what difference yeah. does it make. And I don't think that's the, that's not the outcome that we want. So, so do you, I mean, you just came from a session, a really unusual midsummer session. Uh, it's over, right? It was I, like I, a midsummer's night's dream. <laughs> yes, except there was, there was no like fairy revel or like, you know, dancing in the woods. It was a no. very distanced experience, no Shakespearean drama. Um, well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, maybe not actually. I mean, the drama was actually the primaries, which turned out to um, oust a number of your colleagues and replace them with some very, very liberal individuals. I, I read a headline that said something to the effect of, now it may have been in a, in a right-leaning publication that shall remain nameless, but, you know, does, um, well, actually maybe it was in the New York Times. Does, <laughs> does New York have the most, um, you know, liberal legislature in the country now? I mean, you have people who self-identify as socialists effectively. Yep. Yep. We do now. Um, and what does that mean for upstate, I guess? I mean, you are more of a centrist, I would say. Am I right in that? I'm, I'm, I'm so centrist that I often feel like I am on my toes on a balance beam. Um, <laughs> yes, I am very much a centrist. Um, and, you know, and I come out of the private sector. So I have a respect for capitalism and for the market that, you know, I think, I don't know the, I don't know the individuals who won those primaries, but based on their public statements, I don't think they, I don't think they have the same experiences and I don't think they have, uh, they have the same respect for, uh, for the, the role of capitalism in, um, in building our economy and creating um, opportunities for everybody. So what does that mean for, I mean, do you imagine, it seems like, first of all, also we're going into a redistricting process and the Democrats control both houses of the legislature. So it's just not voting well for the Republicans at this moment. And so it looks like what we're gonna end up is Democrats um, and, and de versus Democrats. I mean, you have a situation where you have folks who are gonna be in one part of the spectrum versus folks who are on the other part of the spectrum. and you know, it, it, it's going to be intra-party stress, it seems like to me, which is not necessarily a positive thing. Yeah, I don't think it's a positive thing at all. So, you know, I, we have a, we actually have a multi-party political system, but primarily we have a two-party political system. And, and in a two-party political system, 
you know, I think that you capture a range of points of view. You also capture um, kind of the range of experiences across what is a very big and diverse state where we have, we have large urban, we have small urban, we have lots of big suburbs, and we have much geography that is sparsely populated um, and rural. And, and making sure that, they, that all of those communities are well represented in, and their voices can be heard in the legislature is I think the, you know, is I think a very important goal. And, and when we, and when we take steps to silence one of the parties, I, I really have, I, I'm really challenged by that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in, a, in an election, there's winners and there's losers and, and, and there will be a majority party and there will be a minority party. We see that, you know, I certainly see that in Saratoga County. We see that at the state legislature. I get it. You know, that's the way elections work. But I, I do have, uh, you know, I am, I did not vote for the constitutional amendment and I'm really, because I'm really challenged by the idea that in redistricting, we're going to, um, we're going to manipulate things so that, so that we, we, we really marginalize um, large, large numbers of people in the state. And that's, you know, I, I'm challenged by that. I, I don't know, I, there's a game that came out last year, um, uh, the gerrymandering game, because I don't know. I don't know about this game. Tell me all about it. It's a fascinating game. It was created by a group of, te a family of teenagers. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and they did a GoFundMe page, which is how I found them. Um, and they and they created this board game, and I I'd not been through. Uh, I was elected after the redistricting last time, so I would not been through this process. And and knowing it was coming up, I was like, I really want to understand how this. You know, what is gerrymandering and how does it work actually? So I got this game, and I've been playing it with my friends so that I really understand it. And and you know, and it does it does show you in very simple. Um, in a very simple way, how you can, you know, if you, if you are a smart player, um, you can basically dominate the board and, and marginalize every other group. And, and I don't know that that's a, you know, yeah, I don't know that that's healthy. Where so, do we find this game? Can everybody play this game? Anybody can play it. It's a board game. You okay, know. I have to find this game. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you come to Leah's in Round Lake, we'll sit out, you know, bring Joe, the three of us, we'll <laughs> bring my board game, we'll play it, and then you can see how, how it works. But it's a, you know, I think it's a, I take representative government really important. I, I think that's, you know, that's a, that's a fundamental tenet of our democracy. And redistricting is where we, is where we make sure that there's truly representative government. And, um, so I'm I'm deeply troubled by it. But so but to strike a, a a more hopeful note, in the six years that I've been in, in the assembly, one of the things that I have noticed is that um, is that there's this kind of magic that happens. We've got a room full of people who come from very different perspectives, different cultural backgrounds, different geographic backgrounds, different ideological backgrounds. And there is, you know. In clutch moments, you find people coming together and, and, and finding 
you know, not all the time. I'm not going to, you know, we can, we can all point to some times when that was not the case, but in, in, in more times than not, I have found that you, you end up with true consensus and, um, and I, and I'm hopeful that, that as we bring in a new class of, of, of uh, legislators and it'll be a big class this year, uh, that, that, you know, that the, that that blending will happen and that, that we'll get to a place where um, they have an understanding of the broader issues in the state. Um, and, and perhaps those of us who live upstate will, will gain some insights into the realities that their communities face. And, and that we can, as, you know, as smart people who, who have not just the interests of our communities at heart, but the interests of our state at heart, um, that we'll, we'll make, we'll get to a place where we can make good decisions. Well, that seems like a good place for us to call it quits. I really thank you so much for your time, Assemblywoman. I miss you. I will have to make my trek to Round Lake, which, by the way, is my secret love. If I could figure out a way to move to Round Lake, I would definitely do it right away. Well, we'll I'll keep my eye open for uh, homes that are for sale in Round Lake. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Joe. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on civmix.com. And we are back in the mix. We have Legislator Peters with us. Is that right? Is that the is that the appropriate title for you, sir? Uh, yes, although Albany County Legislator, uh, yeah, it's fine. Um, District 5. District 5, that's a long title. <laughs> I know, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't get any more impressive as you add words to it, but that's okay. Well, I really am happy to have you with us. Um, we're in a challenging time, as uh, folks are aware. And um, if you're paying attention to local news, you know that while the state's overall numbers are going down when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic, in Albany County, there's been a little bit of um, an uptick, which is a concern. Can you talk about that? Sure. I mean, I think um, while generally the trends have been getting better with the infection rates obviously going down, um, the hospitalizations going down. Um, you know, what we saw was a large surge based on, you know, a large college party um, over, I believe, the 4th of July weekend. And that led to, you know, nearly 50 cases coming from that. So I think while we've taken a lot of positive steps, and I think both the city and the county, uh, the city of Albany and the county and the surrounding areas has done a really good job. Um, the problem is, is that when you get a large gathering of people who are not respecting social distancing um, and seem to, to feel themselves immune, you know, our greatest concern, I think, at this point is a, you know, the age group of between 20 and 29 who just do not seem to be following the sort of uh, common sense rules that we're setting up. And, you know, what, what that's causing is, you know, their contact with other people is of course what the real concern is. Um, so and the, it's, yeah. the governor has said he's been pretty um, combative actually when it comes to local governments and said basically, do your job. Now, I mean, do you think that local governments are doing what they should be doing? I mean, to a certain degree, we're really resting a lot on personal responsibility. I mean, with the exception of locking people all back up in their respective homes again, you know, there's, um, you know, there's not that much you can do. I mean, d the authorities didn't know about said party until after the fact. Right. Yeah, I, I think there's, 
you know, I think there are certain things that localities should be expected to do when it comes to regulating uh, establishments, making sure that we're following code regulations and things. But largely, it's really hard to to regulate, as you said, a party that was only known after the fact. And even then, once people are already congregated, is the only chance that you have to break something up. And by that time, they've potentially already given it to each other. Right. So, so like, you know, how do you prevent that from happening? It's that we can't trace everyone between the ages of 20 to 29 on their movements. And if there's a gathering of more than, you know, 15, we move in. It's just an impossible responsibility for just the locality. But I do think there's a lot localities can do and have done. Um, and, and, you know, between providing hand sanitizer, more outdoor dining space. And while that one party is very alarming, you know, I, I'm hopeful that those additional steps, you know, are sort of containing a larger cluster outbreak from spreading out into the sort of wider area. Well, I mean, and again, people who have traveled sort of anecdotally tell me that, you know, they are really kind of amazed, some of them in a positive way, some of them not so much, but about how aggressive the local authorities have been in tracking them after they come back. I mean, if in fact you yeah. provide your information, which right. I don't think you legally can be forced to do, um, mm. then the sheriffs are calling you like every day, apparently. Yeah, and I think that's the way we have to do it. Like at this point, our infection rate is so much lower, both in this area and um, you know, in the state compared to even some of our surrounding states, although generally New England has done a, a good job as well, that, you know, I think that's that's sort of how we're doing it, the contact tracing and making sure that there's as few, little of a spillover as possible once we know there's an infection is, is the only way to stop large traveling clusters from happening. Hmm. What do you think, I mean, do you foresee in the sort of near future that there will be additional steps that will be necessary at the local level? Um, you know, I mean, outside of that, there's been some substantial follow-up from both the sheriff and the SLA on bad actors when it comes to business. It's very hard for, I think, government to regulate what individuals are going to do in sort of their private homes and private, you know, areas of residence, you know, at least to prevent that. You know, we can respond afterwards and, you know, fines and other things are certainly deterrents after the fact. But, you know, we're seeing it, you know, throughout the county, just reports of, you know, parties and things of that nature in the woods when it's like high school or college age kids. Um, you know, I see it in my own neighborhood, you know, SUNY kids walking around and other things you know, like, you know, SUNY age kids and things like that. Washington Park in large groups without masks. Um, you know, how do you stop that? especially if they're technically in groups under 25. Well, some of this is sort of like speaks to this idea of the invincible idea of invincibility, invincible. I don't even know what the correct, there's like a correct um, title for this, but like it's young people who think that they're, you know, and they're sort of also a little bit um, fatalistic about it in some ways, it seems. Yeah, and I think generally speaking, because there's been a relatively, you know, it's technically like a low death rate and things of that nature through that, through that, you know, until it sort of hits you home, you know, where you actually give it to someone or your family member um, or a loved one and there's a serious consequence, you know, it's, it's all relative, right? It's all hypothetical. And I think that's 
the problem is that by the time a lot of these individuals see what their actions have done, it's too late. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and we, we've had, a, you know, a little over 120 some odd deaths in Albany County. And so, you know, I, I don't think, you know, and, and the hospitalization rate is relatively low. So sometimes they, they do not see the effects of their action. And it's hard to make that hit home, especially when there's, you know, alarm bells about everything. And, you know, there's also this, I, I think, understandable frustration among a group that's been denied graduations and proms. And, you know, they, they don't realize that there's, there's more to lose or what that could really mean for their, their loved ones. And this is all also taking um, part, place against a backdrop of you know, a, a lot of other stuff, right? You have like a whole social justice issue and protests in the street. Now we're not seeing it as much um, here, but I, I wonder um, just particularly given the uh, developments that we've seen in Chicago over the last 12 hours or so, where, you know, we're seeing all these demonstrations and violence in Portland, where you have the president sending in federal troops to put down the violence. You have the Chicago mayor, who is, the violence there is more gun related, sort of, I would say not protest related violence, but, you know, crime related violence, if you will, similar to what we've seen here in Albany and also in New York City. And the Chicago mayor sort of initially was like, you're never coming in here. And then subsequently turned around and was like, okay, yes, you can come in. So the question is, I mean, what do you foresee in New York? Um, there's a lot of, um, and particularly in Albany, and you know, I, I need to disclose that my husband is the spokesman for the Albany Police Department. So this is, hits very close to home for me. I mean, my phone's ringing off the hook at three in the morning, every single day. Right, right. So, so I mean, I, 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 go ahead. No, I'm so, I don't want to speak for areas outside of Albany County and, and you know, and, and outside the city of Albany. Um, but generally speaking, you know, a lot of our systems, right, have been designed around, um, you know, personal contact and, and follow up and, and sort of tracing when there's violence and things of that nature. And a lot of those systems had to shut down or were done, being done remotely. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's sort of like the, the pot boiling over. And then in addition, we're seeing a lot of economic uncertainty and things of that nature. And I think that all impacts it. Now, my hope is that, you know, as we start, I, I don't want to be flipping and call it playing catch up, but like as these services are being reintroduced and in person um, and we can get sort of that feedback back on the ground to try to do violence prevention, you know, my hope is that the violence we've seen in Albany and even other cities upstate and towns uh, starts to subside. You know, I, I don't believe that we have the issues that Chicago has um, or even that New York City has seen, but, you know, it's obviously concerning nonetheless. Um, but, you know, when, when the systems that are designed to keep everyone protected um, that are all based on in-person services have to evolve and evolve quickly. Um, I think things fall through the cracks, and I think there there were systematic failures that have sort of led to the spike. 
Have we gotten to the point at the county level? I mean, do you imagine, I should say, that you will be having, or maybe you have been having, and I don't know about it because it's hard. It's hard to keep track about what government's doing these days because you, you can't do it in public, right? Because of the right. pandemic. But, um, and in some cases that's been good because more people are paying attention. If you can zoom in, it's easier to do it like from your bathtub, which you can than to get all dressed up and go to a meeting. That said, you know, people are otherwise engaged. But are you having a debate about defunding the police? I mean, the sheriff's department is in fact, and it is in fact, you know, a, a, a law enforcement entity that the county is responsible for funding. Well, I don't, I don't believe we're having the, the conversation of defund, but the sheriff has always been very open about doing programs that focus around um, re-entry, um, making sure that mental services are available and other help for people as they're both re-entering and during it. Obviously, um, I think you're familiar with the programs that he has to help the homeless population and stuff of that nature. So I think the conversation is what type of services are missing that law enforcement has had to um sort of enter into and are not necessarily the right entity to do those things. Mm -hmm. So that's, those are the conversations we're having. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to get distracted by the defund title, but there is, we've, we've, we haven't invested in mental health services as a state and a nation. We haven't dealt with a lot of poverty and other issues. And then when issues pop up, we automatically go to the police. And they're not always the right entity to do that, but we, and we haven't, we don't train them to do those things. They are not mental health workers. They are not social service. They're not a social service entity. Um, you know, they are a law enforcement entity. And for too long, I think society in general um, has kicked the can down the road on actually providing healthcare, social services, dealing with poverty, educational opportunities. And then every time, you know, something happens, you know, we give it another job to the police or something like that. And, you know, again, they're not trained for it. And the community, in my opinion, is better served by making sure that we are, we are treating the root cause. We're not just sending in the police when something goes wrong. And we need to invest in, you know, in housing, better housing and getting um, people equity into in their own neighborhoods. We have to invest in mental health services. We have to invest in employment opportunities. And we have to invest in making those neighborhoods, you know, through an equity agenda, make sure that we're funding it correctly, that we're helping uh, businesses and, and other people succeed in mm -hmm. this county. And I think that's where, you know, so again, I, I just don't want to, like, we're having those conversations, but I don't want it to see, seem like we're, and we're not taking, and we're taking that very seriously, but it wouldn't be called defunding the police, even though I think there's a large, probably Venn diagram of similarities of, of where we're trying to go. Well, it seems like we're at the start of a much longer conversation. I can't imagine that this is going to be an easy <laughs> road for any of us. We could probably debate this for some time, but unfortunately we are out of time. And so I thank you. <laughs> Insert long title here, Matt Peter. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Liz. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, my pleasure. Be well. You too. Bye. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on civmix.com.